We generally don't consider ourselves evil, because we're too conceited for that. But we do easily see it in others when their evil supersedes our own, and when a system does more for the evildoer than they do for the families of its victims, and then we want morality to be victorious. For example, an individual who is drunk and steals a snow pickup truck while the driver was in buying beer and speeds off down a two-way farm road at breakneck speeds, dangerously passing a van over a hill, not even able to see the car coming on the blind side of the hill to present themselves to each other so quickly, your brother-in-law and sister-in-law could not react before the plow truck with its blades up hits them head on. He sent my sister-in-law headfirst into glory, while my brother-in-law followed behind only about five agonizing minutes later, while he, the drunk driver, survived. But, like the awkward consoler said, at least they died quickly. Sure, that brings us relief, that at least these parents, these grandparents, this brother, this sister, this son, this daughter, were robbed of their life quickly. It's these evidences that were proof to us that there are evil people in this world, evil doers. But why should we dwell on the past? What's done is done. We need to focus on the living like this now half-paralyzed alcoholic killer who said it best when he spoke to a bartender who confronted him at the bar for just killing the two friends of the community. They're just people. This day and age, how do peace-loving families seek retribution? They let the courts handle this, which they did, by giving this drunken, apathetic killer three and a half years. Three and a half years for stealing a car, driving while intoxicated, driving with a suspended license from prior drunk driving convictions, reckless endangerment for excessive speeds and for running another vehicle off the road before the vehicular homicide of my two family members. But balance was restored. The state was satisfied with it. At least the court issued a restraining order, although it was against us, the victim's family, in order to keep the killers safe. We are not a wealthy family, and we don't have the means to pay exorbitant amounts of money for justice. We are humbled subjects of the legal decree that all men are created equal and that justice should be blind between our situations in life. Of course, it seemed to us very apparent that if instead of being two poor farmers, they were two lawyers or doctors, something more noble than us mere peasants, that we could have gotten just resolution. What the judicial system proclaimed to us loudly was that drunkenness lessens evil, that evil committed against worthless peasants reduces it even further. I know our pain is just a drop in a bucket compared to so many others, but we all share the bucket. We are all victims, disregarded to wallow in our destroyed worlds, bitter, angry, violated in an immoral doer and an immoral code of justice. When one is faced with blatant injustice, and this frustration was expressed to us by the judge herself, one has to reevaluate the moral environment. How much unjust laws have been created to protect evil? 
traditional systems supposed to be that moral base of society, the one we reach down into to pull out justice, restoration, compensation for the evil. But they're pulling out lottery winners for violators and stuffing the dirty socks down the throat of the violated. Now hold on there. I know what you're saying, blah, 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 heartstrings pulled, but you're wrong. Morality is the standards of right conduct as declared by our legislative body of representatives. These standards are the standards of righteousness to our culture. So therefore, your heart has no right to feel itself violated because the Commonwealth has spoken. Therefore, celebrate the measure of justice it has so graciously donated to you. Cast off your bitterness and unshackle your world. Virtue has been restored, because without virtue there is no freedom. So accept the decree, or lose your freedom, you self-loathing, unappreciated worthless peasants. It's hard to argue about anything unless we understand the terms. So let's break open the dictionary. <laughs> Who am I kidding? I'm just going to type it into the search engine. What is morality? Morals. American Heritage Dictionary of the English Language, 5th edition. Morality. 1. The quality of being in accord with standards of right or good conduct. 2. A system or collection of ideas of right and wrong conduct. 3. Virtuous conduct. Alright. So number 1 and 2 leans heavily to the law, which is our system or collection of ideas, the standards of right and good conduct, a law-abiding citizen, therefore is moral. And if they invert the law, well, then that once moral law-abiding citizen is now immoral deviant. Apparently it's that simple. Morality is some arbitrary set of standards determined by a social group. That is to say, cannibalism is moral to cannibals. They socially determined that it was right and acceptable to them. Social absolutism, despotism, therefore, is moral, <clears throat> because they collectively said so. Might makes right, and the golden rule means the one with the gold rules. And if they say the moon is the sun, then it is the sun, and God himself must obey. Medieval Europe is rife with the results of this moral definition, battling constantly with each other over who wears the mantle or moral authority. From genocidal bloodlust against the Sabbateans and the Celtic and Gaelic Christians from the Roman Universalism, all the way to the civil wars between the Protestants and the Catholics throughout all of Europe and every continent Romanism sets in. Joining in on this bloodbath came the Western Enlightenments with their humanist definition of morality to create an even more complex war, redefining even reality to best their enemies and impose their modernist ideals for global feudalism to completely eliminate the God principle out of the equation to enslave mankind through confusion and pacifism. Yet, what about virtuous conduct? Doesn't that kind of contradict this whole system or collection of ideas? What does virtuous mean? Having high moral standards. What? So virtue is nothing more than vigorously following the law. I was right. Morality, at least as it is being defined here, is social construct of rights and wrongs, according to those individuals who wrote it, and their tolerances and intolerances, their fads and trends. They determine what is moral and immoral. Therefore, morality is arbitrary. 
Last year's Mora Compass could flip its polars this year, so pending on the politics, you'll have to recalibrate your Mora Compass according to the pulse of the celebrity. Culture version 2.0 now cancels Culture 1.0. It's the new moral. And here we are, 4,000 years away from Mesopotamia just to come right back to their chaos. Our God principle versus your God principle. And when might makes right, that means war, steal, kill, destroy. Greed, envy, hatred is the world's morality. Pain is the body. Disease is its wife. And death is their child. Peace, love, mercy were weaknesses they purged out of the reality, and yet they still can't figure out what is wrong with the world. Maybe, just maybe, we are all wrong. Well, that's one definition. So let's deep dive into the word morals and find some civility. Morals is actually not an English word, which is why it may be confusing. It's a Latin word first used by the Roman philosopher Cicero to translate the ancient Greek words ethikos or ethos, which is where we get the word ethics from. It means the manner of one's character, the nature of a person, the Latin most being manner, custom, and moralis being constructed as a relating to manners. Ethics is the Greek word for the Latinized word moral, so really, there are not different words, just different languages saying the same thing. Philosophers, however, like to make ethics and morals as two separate things so they can rationalize their perceptions of reality. But honestly, it's the same thing. Morality took on an ecclesiastical air, while ethics was boiled into becoming an academic, thoughtful, rational air. But it's still condensed to be one thing. The English word for morals is manners, or mannerism which seems to have developed like the English language itself as some sort of slang mixture of Middle English, Ancient Norman, Old French, Vulgar Latin word. The Old English word manner simply and likely comes from the word handle, like an axe handle, which basically is saying how you swing an axe, or as a way of saying uh, how you live your life, how you handle it, hold it, use it, uh, how you work it. Manners, and manners and customs are linked in English which customs comes from the same Old English process, simply means customs, habits, behavior. The Hebrew equivalent could be halak, which means walk or how to walk, not like you're on your tippy toes, but the manner of your life. Enoch walked with God and was no more, meaning he was moral, upright, righteous. He was tight with God, not that he walked too close to God and evaporated, which could be a thing too, I suppose. But manners, behavior is just the what you're doing and not the why you're doing it. Good behavior may be the mask of a deviant heart. Therefore, you may be moral for all tense, but not for all purposes. You're there for all the wrong reasons. Morality fails to be certain because it can be a sham. The problem with all this is that it's ignoring the elephant in the room. Yeah, sure, it's customary, therefore moral, for this group to behave like rabbits. But it's not right-wise. It's not wise not to be who you are. Right-wise, if you are more familiar with the misinterpreted version, righteous means deriving from what is right and true, balanced, level. Clockwise and right-wise are very similar in words, each referring to a particular direction of movement not in the manner of how we move. Why this is important? 
is that it takes us out of the equation of what is socially acceptable to what is right. Good manners is not the same as right manners, while right manners is always good. Good manners is not always right. So really, moral courage, moral judgment, moral action is weak philosophical jargon, slang trying to sound secular in a spiritual way, or spiritual in a secular way. Well, whatever. The enlightenment heaven forbid one say righteous courage, righteous judgment, or righteous action. Oh, no. <laughs> Saying righteous just rings of churchy. Let's ignore the clanging screams of academics for a moment and just call a spade a spade. Manners or behaviors are the physical movements or activities that one conducts after considerations from observations in accord with their desires. This eternal code, law, principles, etc., lives in our wisdom, developed by these external observations and from our experiences. The key word, external. It doesn't originate from within us. It is to be discovered externally. Righteous or right-wise is wisdom that is based on what is right outside of ourselves. Socially accepted behaviors, legislated or politically enforced, do not make it right. Just as legislation cannot create natural law, this is why the subject of morality spans from the beginning of human history to today. We have all lived and continue to live in the abuse of morality, which was what made novelist and philosopher Ayn Rand so popular. She famously declared, Reason is man's only absolute, that a morality cannot be based on arbitrary whim, not on emotion or arbitrary edict, mystical or social, but a morality which can be proved by logic, which can be demonstrated to be true and necessary. Yet, Miss Rand, I suspect it goes further than that. We are all subjects to universal standards that reach far beyond our own reasoning, as exposed through quantum mechanics, a completely irrational to man, yet true condition of reality, mathematically unfathomable, if not even our own reason can supply enough to make sense of what is absolute reality, how much more is our reason able to determine absolute right? We simply can't, yet we certainly must try. Compared to societies founded on two distinct rationalist ideologies of the Enlightenment era, the first is Thomas Jefferson's philosophy of the separate and equal station in which the laws of nature, nature's God, entitle us, naturally established rights, versus the philosophies of the French Revolution and that the satisfaction of the government makes right. I know, I'm oversimplifying the subject, but whether intended or unintended, Jefferson, Adams, and Franklin sought to establish a government of autonomous and individual people on top of a platform above and beyond the people, the laws of nature and of nature's God, while Voltaire, Rousseau, Montesquieu, and Diderot either intentionally or unintentionally sought to establish a government of autonomous and individual people on top of a platform of personal and social satisfaction. The American philosophy was based on a natural absolutism, a condition outside of man, while the French philosophy was based on social absolutism, which turned out to be arbitrary between everyone. The American experiment eventually was able to stand up strong, while the French Revolution became only a reign of terror. 
The impact of the heavy Quaker influence in the foundation of the United States of America moved it into behaving in respect to the laws of nature, which Jefferson argued must accord to the laws of God, who is the author. In short, the principles of right living was laid out naturally, simply to love God and to love your neighbor, discovered and accomplished through patience and self-discipline, not through greed, envy, and hatred, as witnessed during the reign of terror. It's logical that right morality to be just manners must be universal in its set of standards that define good order for all. And because natural law is already universal, and rationalism never will be, only through the laws of nature and of nature's God can good order be established for all, both for the peasants and for the nobles. So why does tyranny continue to battle liberty? Tyranny and liberty can never be equal, and obviously, nature does not enslave us. So tyranny is an abomination to the laws of nature and of nature's God. Why is there tyranny? Because under the state of natural order, no one can manipulate it for their own greed, neither church nor state. So in order for greed to profit, they must create an order that they can manipulate. The best they can do is make up false laws to fool you into believing that they hold some sort of mandate from heaven that allows them to violate you. This on its head is contradiction to reality, but you will only see that when you use natural law as your sliding for your moral judgment, not the measurements provided by the greedy, the envious, or the wicked. As the Declaration of Independence so deliberately stated, there is no legitimate cord that binds man to wickedness. For there is no law that limits love, peace, kindness, gentleness, mercy, etc. Because it is right wisdom. No, laws are to limit greed, envy, hate, impulsiveness, rebellion, in order to wall out wickedness that devotes itself to causing pain, disease, war, death. So how do we cast off these cords that binds us all to evil? We know we must remain independent and autonomous, which means we must be right, moral, populous, full of patience and self-discipline, seeking out wisdom from God who guides all things. To do this, critically challenge your wisdoms, which is a very hard thing to do. It forces you to accept your human weaknesses and admit to all kinds of evils. You're tilling up the soil of your basic belief in order to find those tiny seeds of disorder hidden in the foundation of your character, which often is tightly woven into the fabric of your immediate culture. For this, you're going to have to learn to pay attention, to think, to really analyze, to judge, and worse yet, to live it. That's the cost of freedom from tyranny. I'm James, and this is Noble Peasant, a podcast dedicated to performing character root canals. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you have something you would like to add or comment, you can email us at noblepeasantpodcast at gmail.com or go to our website at peasantpodcast.com. If you want to join us at the table, you can. Simply go to buymeacoffee.com and become a member. Or if you just want to tip us, buy me a coffee, you can do that too. 